good to see each and every one of you here this morning. God bless you. Some of us are really just reveling in this Gospel of Isaiah. Another of us today will hopefully be drawn into the message that Isaiah would say when he says, uh, we have good news. We have good news. Now, those of us who follow the news don't find a lot of good news. In fact, yesterday, there were two separate mass shootings in the United States. If you haven't already picked that up, I'm sorry to be the one who brings you that news. Over 20 in El Paso, Texas, in a Walmart, were gunned down brutally. Another 20 or so were injured at that same spot. The gunman was apprehended. And then in Ohio, nine were shot and killed by a mass murderer. And why I tell you this is two things. Thank God it's not yesterday for you and for me if we don't know Jesus. But if we know Jesus and we were one of those amongst those that slain, and we must confess the, fall, the rain falls on the just and on the unjust. So I would be very surprised if there were not believers who were part of that, both incidents either injured or slain. And so I think it behooves us to thank God, but also to pray to God. So let's just open our meeting and take a minute, quiet in our hearts, think of the good news, and then thank God for what he is doing, and pray for those who are grieving. Heavenly Father, we just acknowledge again, you are God of all grace, a God of graciousness, a God of compassion, a God of love. You love us incredibly. You love us from east to west. We'll never get the end of it. Uh, we, we just can't express how great your love is. And yet, in the midst of that love, things don't seem to be always loving. Things don't seem to be always lovely. Things don't always seem to have the pattern of loving kindness. Lord, we lift up those families, the myriad of families that are grieving today in those locations. But also, as we were hearing of Burkina Faso, the families of so many who are your children who have been martyred for their love for your son. Lord, we pray that you would put within our hearts that passion, that love, that fire, that we would be willing to stay. What? Forsake Jesus? No, he's never forsaken me. Why? Why would I forsake him at this time? So, Lord, we pray that you will bless this, your word, that we might see your son in his glory, even in the gospel of Isaiah in the Old Testament. We give you thanks and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope you are enjoying your summer. We had not so good news this morning. Someone came to me and said, did you know the temperature was one degree Celsius here in Timmins this morning? And not to be outdone, another said, and I saw frost on my window. 
So, I'm just getting used to swimming. And I'm just getting used to the fact that the water actually feels a little warmer right now. So I wanted to put up this shot. It's a shot of the beaches in Miami. But it's a reminder as well that we do some crazy things in our youth. I'm speaking personally. I'm not going to talk for you guys. But way back in 1973, I was 20 years of age. So you can figure out my age from that. Um, we took a team down to Hollywood, Florida, which is just an adjacent to the Miami Beach that you see here. And our purpose was to do beach evangelism. Sounds pretty cool, eh? Yeah, pretty. This was the month of March. This is March break for a bunch of uh, Emmaus Bible School um, students. What more could you enjoy your March break? You get to tell people about Jesus, but you also get to go to the beach in the middle of winter. Oh, that's pretty cool. And let me tell you, Chicago is called the Windy City for a reason. It's cold and it's windy and it doesn't really have much of a winter compared to northern Ontario, but it's enough that you really want to get away during March break. So a bunch of us went down, took 24, 26 hours to get down to Hollywood, Florida. And our first effort would be to go out to the beaches and to talk to people about Jesus, to offer them a tract. And no, I did not go swimming. I was one of those who said, look, I'm here for beach evangelism. Probably would have done better if I had, uh, honestly, because looking back in with 40 years of retrospect or so, um, I would have probably looked more, less like somebody was there kind of, to, whoa, who are you kind of thing, you know. And so, nevertheless, we got there. We've handed out lots of tracts. And we... We met a gal, and I think I may have told this a couple of times, but it bears, it bears telling again. And she kind of looked up from her position on the beach and kind of looked up at me as I'm standing above her. And she probably, she didn't seem real worried, so that was, that was the good news. I, I guess I didn't frighten, frighten her that much. And, and, and she says, what are you doing? And I said, well, we're, we're telling people about Jesus, and we're, we're talking to them about the good news of Jesus. And she says, well, you're, you're, you're talking to the wrong person. You see, I'm a Jew. And I don't believe in Jesus. I believe he was really kind of a mixed up man. Just, you know, he really messed up. So, she didn't believe my report. Now, yesterday, there were a bunch of people in the mall and they were at one end of the mall, and a little child came into the sports shop that the people were in. And he said, there's gunfire in the mall. And the guy says, you know, we looked at this little kid who was telling us that there was a mall shooting going on in our town. And we, we basically said, no, no, you're, you're mistaken. You're mistaken. They did not believe his report. And there are millions of people today who don't believe in the Bible who don't trust what it says, who say it's full of a bunch of myth, a bunch of scientific unfact, a bunch of hocus-pocus. Um, it's in the category of, of the fables. If you're in that position, I would like to challenge you again, as I probably did last time we spoke, to prove your own faith or lack of whatever you believe by reading the Bible and let it let you, you find the, the errors and then come to somebody in this group and literally say, look, I found this as an error. This is definitely wrong. 
I challenge you to do that. You, 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 you'd be surprised at how over and over and over again the Bible stands the test of time. And so we talked to various people. We're talking about Isaiah 53 today. And it's rather interesting that the first verse in Isaiah 53 is this verse here. Who has believed our news or our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord, actually it's Jehovah, been shamelessly uncovered or been revealed? The question is, what you believe dictates who you are and what you do. You don't realize that until you start thinking about all the things you either accept and live your life on or reject. Well, I don't do that. Why? Well, I don't, I don't believe in that. So we actually depend on what we believe. I know it sounds kind of hokey, but theology is really important. What you believe determines who you are and what you do in life. And so the prophet Isaiah is talking about news and he's saying, who's going to believe it? And these people yesterday didn't believe and that gal didn't believe at that time. I'm trusting that maybe she did later. But the question then is, why Isaiah 53? Well, this one by Polycarp, he said, he was one of the students of this back hundreds of years ago, and he said it's the golden passion of the whole of, the, of Isaiah. If you're not familiar with Isaiah 53, it's the gold in the vein. It's what it's all about, the book of Isaiah. And others talked about it. Um, Dalek said it's the center of the, of the Bible of Isaiah. It's uh, not quite the center, but in, in, in retrospect of chapters 40 through to 27, it is actually pretty much the center of that second section, which we call the, the New Testament passages of Isaiah. And Uruk called it the holiest of holies. And so, just by virtue of a reminder... You remember we talked a little bit about this last time we were together and we're just picking up on the chapters 40 to 66 where he says that this section delves into the poetry section but actually it's the prophetic section that richly reminds us again of who Jesus is. You're not going to be able to take time to get all the notes so just know that it's all going to be posted. Ted's doing an excellent job of getting the PowerPoints and the messages posted, for which I'm very grateful, Ted. So thank you again for the work you do to make sure that website stays up and running and current. And uh, this passage here, we see a very poor rendition, but it's uh, the Man of Sorrows. It was a painting from the 14, 15th century. 1485, the gentleman was who uh, wrote or did this painting. And why I bring this up is that the Man of Sorrows is a theme was very big during the Renaissance, the Reformation, the Great Awakening, the Revival. We prayed this morning, revive us again. We sang it. We thought about the need for revival. And we need a new Renaissance. We need a new Great Reformation. And I believe we are actually a part of it right now. That It has actually started. And we are seeing some great things happening. Now, if you go on the line, online, you will find that the Jews for Judaism, I want to make sure you're clear, this is not Jews for Jesus, this is Jews for Judaism. So, they maintain that this passage, Isaiah 53, is not about Jesus. But over and over and over again, 
when you read it, it's hard for me not to see Jesus in this passage. And in fact, when I was talking to this gal on the beach, that was the very first passage I took her to. Isaiah 53. Now, the Jews for Judaism say, you really should look at where it really starts, which is in chapter 52. So forgive me for going backwards a little bit there, Carrie, but um, I'm just going to go back to what the beginning of the passage, which according to the Jewish Bible, would start at verse 13. And this is the fourth song of Isaiah. And he says, Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted. He shall be extolled. And just as many words were astonished at you, so his visage was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. So he shall sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths at him, for what they had not been told them they shall see, and what they had not heard they shall consider. His visage was marred more than any man. The Jews for Judaism suggest that this passage, Isaiah 53, is actually about the nation of Israel, as opposed to the Christian position that it is about the man, Jesus, the God-man, Jesus. So let's look at the verses together. I have the great opportunity to do the first six verses, and then we will have two other sermons on this. It's such a foundational passage that we have actually three messages the next three weeks, today, next Sunday, and the following Sunday, to talk about this. Who has believed our news, and to whom has the arm of Jehovah been shamelessly uncovered? He shall grow up before his father's face as a branch severed, yet now sprouting. As a root out of the desert earth, he has no handsome appearance or glory. And when we look at him, there is nothing we would see that we would find delightful. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and one knowing grief. We turned and hid our faces away from him. He was despised. We did not value him. Surely he was lifted up and carried our diseases and carried our pain. We ourselves are accounted him struck, stricken by the triune God and humbled. He bore our transgressions. He was bruised for our rebellion and the punishment for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. The entire flock of sheep wandered away lost. We've turned each one of us to his own paths. And the Lord laid on him the sin of the whole world. If you want to look at it on the web, those are the two passages that will be looked at next week and the week following. The Lamb of God, verses 7 through 9, and the Righteous Savior, verses 10 through to the end of the chapter, verse 12. So Isaiah 53 goes infinitely beyond anything a mere man was even capable. It could only to the unique God-man Christ and it is applied directly to Christ by the scriptures themselves and often it's the twelve that is the apostles themselves that apply these passages in Isaiah 53 in other words here's the short explanation the New Testament writers quote Isaiah 53 when they're talking about this is that which was written by the prophet Isaiah and there's several passages I've listed here. Mark 8.17, Mark 15.28, Luke 22.37, John 12.37, 12.38, Acts 8.32, and 1 Peter 2.24 and 25. And we could just get right into those, but I think we'll just look at one passage 
And that is John's passage. As John is envisioning what is going on in John chapter 12 in his gospel. And he says, I don't get it. They're not receiving the message nor the messenger. Jesus has come. He's come as the word, the word made flesh. He's come into this world to communicate to the people that God loves them. That he has a message of love and he wants them to be his children. And then he goes on to say in John chapter 12, But though he had done so many miracles before them, they believed not on him. This, that the saying of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spoke, Lord, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? That's verse 1 that he's quoting of Isaiah 53. And he's saying it explains why they couldn't believe. It's a fulfillment of prophecy. Therefore, they could not believe because Isaiah said again, and he quotes Isaiah chapter 6, actually, in this verse. He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart that they should not see with their eyes nor understand and be converted and should heal them. And then he goes on to say, and I haven't got it in this little verse here, but it should be in there. When Isaiah saw his glory. And who did Isaiah see in Isaiah chapter 6? I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And I heard the train of his, of his angels, the seraphim, filling the temple. And I heard them say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. John is saying, Isaiah was speaking of Jesus. This is powerful. It's not fake news. There's a whole mass of the community that says, we are idiots. I'm sorry, but that's what we're looked upon if you believe in Jesus. You're an imbecile. You're a moronic idiot. That's what the world says of Christians. You're just living the dream and you drank the Kool-Aid. Let me tell you something. There are no atheists in the foxholes of life. And when you get down to the bitter times and the tough times, what does your heart invariably do? It turns upward and says, God, help me. And I would encourage you, if you have not truly called on the name of the Lord, you would trust in Him and embrace the truth that He has brought to this world. So what do you see? Some people would say, oh, I guess I see some twigs growing out of a branch. Others would say, no, I see a branch with some twigs. Still others would say, no, I see a tree with a branch and twigs. And there'd be others who probably say, I don't see anything. I just see, because I'm a scientist, I just see a reflection on a screen of an image that you're projecting from a computer that's not real anyways. <laughs> well, whatever you see, a lot of it determines what you believe. For the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that we might instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. You see, an unbeliever cannot understand these things. The world says, if you would just let me see it, I would believe it. But the Bible says, if you will believe it, you will see it. Starts with faith in the very one who said, trust me, 
I am the truth. When I say something, it happens. So what did you see? Well, let me tell you what you saw. You saw a dead branch. Yes, you did. And I remember well the day that uh, Brother Doug asked me to come over. He had a tree that had been fell down and he wanted to know if I, being a wood-burning person, would like to take the wood. I said, oh, this is a gift. Of course. I get over there and there were these humongous logs of this fallen willow tree. Now, anyone knows about a willow knows that they are wet, they are heavy, and they usually have a humongous diameter. So here I am bucking this up and saying, thank you. Thank you, Lord. This was a gift. This was a gift. And uh, keep working away on it. Packed it away, split, uh, split most of the wood. The rest of it was stacked up. Some of the four-inch pieces were, were not worthy of splitting, so I just set them up to dry. And Two or three weeks later, I come out to the side of my house, and there, those logs are growing more willow trees. Like we had a willow bush growing out of almost all of the four-inch logs that were sitting there. And those of you who have anything to do with wood or wood burning, you know what I'm talking about. But here's the, the, the truth. In Isaiah 53, when he talks about who has believed or reported and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed, he will grow up before him as a tender plant. And that tender plant literally means as a branch severed but now broke, uh, sprouting. The word tender means a sprouting plant. And so, that branch that has come into this world, none other than the Lord Jesus, has sprouted. And that's what the Isaiah prophet is speaking about. In fact, he uses the word the branch as a word for the Messiah all through the scriptures. Isaiah 4 verse 2 In that day the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious and the fruit of the earth shall be excellent. And Isaiah 11.1, 1, There come, will come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And, if you go on, there's a, a total of seven verses that deal with this topic. And I love what he says to Joshua the high priest in Zechariah 3.8. This is not Isaiah speaking, this is Zechariah's prophecy. And he's speaking to the high priest who happens to be named Joshua. Now, those of you who know the name Joshua know that that's the Hebrew name of the Greek name that we know as Jesus. So he's talking to a high priest whose name was Jesus in the Greek, and he says, you and your companions who sit before you, they are wondrously signed because I'm bringing forth my servant, the branch. And so, the branch has come. And that's what Isaiah was speaking about, the sprout, the sprouted branch. But the interesting thing about all of this is that Jesus, as he's just about ready to be crucified, points out to his disciples this parallel. Abide in me and I in you. And as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. What? I get to be called like Jesus is the branch, all capitalized. And you and I are branches. Wow. We are to be God's representatives to the world. You are 
greatly loved. And you are his ambassador. How are you doing with telling people about your heavenly kingdom and your heavenly father? Ah, we probably didn't do so well. At least I didn't. Oh, we maybe had a few opportunities, kind of muffed them. Maybe there were times when people said, why are you different? And you know, I don't know, I don't kind of mumbled away. We all do that, you know. This isn't something just I do. I'm sure you do it as well. But he says, unless you abide in me, you can't bear fruit. What does it mean to abide in Jesus? Just an aside here for a moment. If you want to be a fruit-bearing Christian. It's first of all, addressing Jesus in prayer. It's secondly, getting alone with him. It's thirdly, spending time with him in his word. And it's fourthly, loving him and just telling him so. And those of us who are married and know what it's like to be in that courtship stage, what did we do? We pined after our love. We couldn't get out of our minds. We were writing love letters. What? Guys writing love letters? Come on, guys. We do that. Yeah, we do that. Have you ever written a love letter to God? Huh. You know, that's what David, the king, did all the time as he wrote his psalms. He was writing love letters to God. I challenge us all to get a journal of love letters that you can write to God. And write it out. You'll probably catch yourself in a lot of silliness and foolishness that you won't write. But it will help us and train us how to be fruitful for him. And as a root out of the desert earth, he has no handsome appearance or glory. Wow, this is pretty, pretty challenging. In other words, he was no Charlton Heston. I love the role that Charlton Heston played in the Ten Commandments. I just love that movie. But Jesus was not the type of person that naturally drew your attention. Hey, there's a handsome guy. Now, you and I both know what a handsome guy or a beautiful girl looks like. You ever think about that? We all know that. Instinctively, intuitively, we know beauty. How come? Because we have instilled in our hearts and in our minds a pattern that comes from God. What beauty is. And as soon as we start to exceed the laws of beauty and grow beyond the form and pattern of beauty, we know. And the age-old testimony to tattooing will be this. In 2050, the seniors will be playing a game called Guess What My Tattoo Was. When we look at him, there's nothing that we would find him beautiful or delightful. Surely he has borne our griefs, and he bore them. And he is despised and rejected a man, a man of sorrows. We turned and hid our faces away from him. He was despised, and we did not value him. Despised and rejected is another reference that comes right back from Psalm 22, verse 6. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of man, and despised by the people. And he was not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, for nor has he hidden his face from him. And when he cried to him, he heard. I love fishing. One of the most difficult tasks of fishing is putting the hook through the worm or the minnow to catch another fish. It's rather interesting that Jesus says, I'm the worm. Now go fish with me. Show who I am others. 
He was lifted up and carried our diseases. He carried our pain. And we ourselves account him struck, smitten, stricken by the triune God and humbled. I had uh, wanted to make reference to the passion of the Christ. Mel Gibson's movie. I have this book here. If anyone wants to look at it afterwards, it's got some beautiful photography from the movie and some scripture and whatnot in it. It's really well done. But it will never come close. It will never come close to describing what the Lord Jesus went through for us. For it says over and over again, He was struck. He was smitten. He was spit upon. He had thorns thrust into His brow. He was doing this for you and for me. That's what love really does. He bore our transgressions. He was bruised for our rebellion. The punishment for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Peter takes up that verse in 1 Peter 2.24 to quote it again when he says, Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. And finally, the end of our passage, the entire flock of sheep wandered away lost. You know, all we like sheep is the, is the proverbial verse, but it goes well beyond just the we. It's the entire world was out of touch with God. We turned each one of us to our own paths, but the Lord laid on him the sin of the whole world. Can you imagine? My sin is great. Your sin you can say is, and you can fill in the word. But then we have the sins, countless sins of millions and multitudes who have lived and died for centuries. And then before Christ, centuries before that. And the sins of the entire world were laid upon him and he bore the wrath of God for you and for me. He bore God's punishment for you and me. And he loves us that we might have his joy. I'm coming that you might have life and have it more abundantly. The first part of verse 10 says, The thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I am come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. What does he give us? He gives us his life. Now, if you don't want his life, don't claim that you're a Christian and that you are a believer and a follower of Jesus. Because his life is described in the Bible. And it's clear. If you are a Christian, true, and not just fake news, you are following him and his footsteps, wherever they may lead, as we were hearing. But he says, I am the good shepherd. And that is the comfort that each one of us can maintain. For he says, I am your good shepherd. Is he? Is he your good shepherd this morning? He has come that you might have life. Isaiah 53 describes almost 700 years before the event what took place. Psalm 22 in King David's life does the same. And when you put these together as two passages of Scripture, and there are a multitude more, you come to the conclusion that this is not just a fairy tale. Imagine for a moment, 
that I said to you as something is going to happen in the year 2700. You'd laugh. But if I said to you, no, I'm going to write it down and I'm going to explain exactly what's going to happen and the people in that day will verify that it is going to, that it happened exactly as he, it was said. And I'm not speaking for myself, I'm speaking for God here. That's what the prophet Isaiah is saying. We have the benefit of this day and age being able to look back to the prophet, see it in history, and know that it's real and it's true that Jesus did do and say exactly as he said he would. And so, is he your shepherd this morning? Is he your personal sacrifice? Did he bear your sin on the cross? And have you been given new life? Questions that only you can answer before your God. But one day, every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. May God bless you as you further seek to serve him. We'll call upon our team to come up at this time. Lord, we thank you for your son. And we thank you for what you've done for the world and what you've done for us personally. God, I thank you that you're a relational God and you forgive us and you love us. We thank you for your grace. And uh, Lord, we pray uh, for your help to just to serve you better, to love you better, and to love the people around us better. And, uh, God, that we take the message of Isaiah and the message of the gospel, your message, your message of love, and, uh, God, that we first apply it to our lives and live it. And, God, that, uh, that people would come to know you through it. God, that you draw people to yourself. We thank you for this time. We give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.